Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 53 of Citizen Game, the podcast where I'm pretty sure the world is so demoralizing us that Karen actually had to leave in the middle of recording because her internet and the world are both just just too much. But yeah, that's where we're at right now. We did we did our last episode on trying to find things that make us happy, and then just like shit keeps going downhill. And I don't know if that was necessarily enough. <laughs> Dumpster fire is the word that comes. Yes, to mind. yes, it is. Um, but we are here this week. I'm Kristen Lopez here with Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. Hi. Uh, we'll give Karen's thoughts. Karen did have a sign-off she wanted us to include, but we'll actually wait till the reviews part to say it. Um, but let's let's start with getting some of the trash out of the way, because, of course, there's always trash. Um, one bright bit of... I don't even know if I can call it good news, because nobody's actually gone to prison yet, but Bill Cosby is going to go to jail... Yay! And the peasants <laughs> rejoice. Uh, this was actually something we were going to include last week. Um, we decided to do uh, a nicer show. Um, but Bill Cosby was sentenced to, what was it, 3 to three to 10? I believe it was. Um, something like that, yeah. Sounds right. Um, for, yes, it was three, 3 to 10 years in state prison with no bail um, in his sexual assault case. Um, the Pennsylvania judge designated him a sexually violent predator. Um, and I love how ABC News actually plays video when you're trying to read an article. Um, but that that sounds great. I'm very, very happy that a jail sentence was levied out. But as we all know with celebrity jail, three to ten means what? Six months to a year? If that I still I mean, remember, it, wasn't it Paris Hilton who had like a jail term for drunk driving hours. or something? And yeah, she served like a couple hours tops. Yeah, I, I mean, mean that's could, in LA though. It, yeah, I mean it. It could at the same time, you know, classifying someone as a sexually violent predator. That's that's more serious than you know you you have a driving violation or something like that. So that. I mean, people like Robert Downey Jr. have actually gone to prison, real prison. Um, so I, I don't see any reason to suspect that Cosby is not going to serve some time. How much time he's actually going to serve is a big question. The, guy, the guy's like, what, 81 years old? Something like that, and, yeah. And almost blind, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's that to be taken into account also. The fact that he's been... The fact that he's received such a harsh sentence and is being classified like this. Like, he's going to be a registered sex offender. He's going to have to register. He's, he's going to have to go through all of that stuff. And that's really important. Um, so he was not allowed bail pending appeal. And he was he was ordered to serve the sentence in, quote, total confinement for no less than three years and no more than ten. Um, and, I, you know, I, I would love for all of this to actually take place. I mean, the appeals process could could screw things up but based on what the judge was saying you know 
he definitely believes the victim. He definitely thinks that Cosby is a, a serial predator. And that gives me hope. Mind you, right now in the highest court of the land, we're pretty much saying, uh, women, go fuck yourself. But, like, this is, this is something, right? I'm trying to yeah, find I've, something. I've said before, and I'll say it again, I'm a cynic, so I'm expect I'm not expecting great things. Right now, I'm beyond thrilled with how it's gone down. And so I hope it keeps going that way but i'm always especially with the way things are going right now i'm waiting for something fluky to come up and completely change it all well i i guess i'm always the perennial optimist on on this podcast uh when it comes to things ironically well weirdly (laughs) enough but actually i think a lot of it for me is because uh in terms of just looking at the you know we've talked about this before the different feminist movements the, and civil rights movements and human rights movements, these things do not happen in a year. These things do not happen, and, and people slip through the cracks, and things happen that make us angry. But change does not occur over the course of a single year. Change does not occur over the course of a single, of a couple of months. Um, so there are going to be people that will come back. There are going to be Louis C.K.'s. There are going to be Chris Hardwick's. There are going to be people who will not be punished. Um, and the point with all of this is to, con- is to continue to move forward, to take the wins when we get them. Cosby being convicted, Cosby getting a jail sentence is a win. Harvey Weinstein being arrested and arraigned in like all kinds of places um, is a win. These are good things, and those are the things that will move us forward. And I, I do think we need to, to note those and not be like, oh, this is a fluke. This is just, you know, we're going to, um, a year down the line, this isn't going to mean anything. I think we have to look 10, 20, 30 years down the line. Um, because that's what this kind of a movement has to be about. That was deep, Lauren. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, that makes me happy to hear you say that. Moving on to other things that don't make us happy. Brian Singer. <laughs> I just said all of that. Just like, ah, oh, fuck it. Never mind. <laughs> fuck that guy. Brian Singer has a movie coming out in a couple of weeks, um, and he's also got his new movie all set up. Um, Mind you, this is the week we're recording. It's the one-year anniversary of uh, the Weinstein article coming out to the New York Times. So, uh, Brian Singer is going to be helming the comic book adaptation of Red Sonia, and is supposedly going to get $10 million for it. Whether you want to throw out whether he's a child molester, sexual predator, um, which he is, all of those things, um, let's not forget that he was making a movie and then disappeared for, what, a week? More than that? Yeah. And did not finish the movie, was fired from the movie, and had to be replaced by another director. But we want to give him $10 million to what? supervise a film i mean let's he while also being a child molester and a sexual predator but i mean come on he didn't do the work yeah this this one this one is ugly i'll be interested to see what actually happens with this film um i have a feeling that this is not going to be as cut and dry as as it looks like right now you know it, it looks basically like oh everybody's forgotten about who brian singer is everybody's known who brian singer is for decades practically um and i i truly believe with singer that retribution is coming i it has to i mean something's gonna happen 
Like, and I don't know what it's, it's going to be a, you know, maybe it's a Ronan Farrow article, maybe, maybe this is just like, finally, some of his victims are going to, are going to actually say like, you know what, fuck this shit, we're not going to play this game anymore. And at, at a certain point, Hollywood runs on money. And if Singer is going to continue to cost them money, not just as, you know, as a, as a Me Too issue, but also as a, like you're saying, like you're saying, Kristen, a guy who just wanders away from a set and doesn't come back, um, that, that costs you money. That is not a, that's not a way to run a business. And eventually, you know, like, what, what is he actually contributing as, as a creative mind in Hollywood? What, what money is he making for them? Yeah, I I don't understand. I mean, Brian Singer is one of those, if you read the gossip blogs, that is very tied into some big Hollywood players. And so that's the only reason I think he is allowed a pass. And I'll be interested to see how Bohemian Rhapsody plays because that's got his name on it. Despite what happened, he still gets the director credit per DGA rules. So... I will be very intrigued. I, of course, the allegations are going to come up. For me, they've never gone away. Again, a reminder, you can watch An Open Secret on Vimeo. Go watch it. Because it couldn't get a theatrical release for reasons. So, it's just, it's one of those things, you know, we were talking about on social media, where he is one of just many that just keeps getting a pass. And it's it's very hard when when Lauren, you know, says... We can't be cynical. I am that person that she is in reference to. Because I'm just like, we've not seen Dick. I mean, people have seen it. I mean, that's a presence. But, I mean, we haven't seen crap from any of these guys getting in trouble. But and we have. Just... No, but we have. We were just talking about Bill Cosby getting well, a jail true. sentence. But I mean, I, that, I feel like that's where I one, think... That's I right. feel like for one, we get 12 that are allowed a pass. Yeah, and that is what we're going to get. I mean, that is, that is something like, so I don't know whether it's necessarily cynical to continue to say that, but it is it is something to say. Realistically, that is what we're going to get. For every 12, we're going to get one guy that gets, that actually gets driven out. For every, and, and I think that some of it is going to be a long-term thing. I do think that Brian Singer is a, it, it's eventually going to smack him in the face. And I don't know when or how that's going to come. Maybe like Al Capone getting run up on tax evasion. But that's where I think that this is going to come in. But it isn't going to happen tomorrow. It is going to happen in a year, in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years. And that's the reality of it. You know, whatever you want to call that work with that <laughs> the, hope, the hope is i mean because kristen i'm i visit the same websites you do i've heard the same gossip some of the things that get reported on that front there must be cases pending somewhere the the hope is that yes yeah, something will happen at some point maybe they're just you know work may the optimist in me says maybe they're working really hard to cement that whatever it is to make sure it sticks. But then ultimately we have the fact that this town thrives on money and this town thrives on reputation. And how many how many men do we chronically see? I mean, even taking all the sexual Me Too stuff out of it, just failing upward. I can yeah. think of two directors whose movies I've seen in the last two weeks who have had absolutely dismal failures in their career in their last movie roles taken a little bit of time away moved to tv but then you know they 
nail another really less than stellar large tentpole movie with a big budget. It's not, they don't, they're not held to the same standards. Yep, I'm just sick of it. (laughs) Speaking of people that just don't go away, Johnny Depp um, is really doing that apology tour for some reason. Um, He apparently did a completely random interview with E! Online talking about the uh, claims by his ex-wife Amber Heard about the abuse that she says she endured in May of 2016. Flat out we believe victims first and foremost so i'm pretty sure i'm I, all of us agree we believe what she has said there's also yeah. video of it by the way um but he says nope that's not true you know why because she was at a party the next day and she did not look like she had been beat to shit he says quote i might look stupid but i'm not fucking stupid so eloquent johnny so eloquent uh, johnny uh, yeah, he says also that police couldn't find a sign of abuse on her, um, that she refused an EMT to look at her, and that while he has abused paparazzi, he wouldn't hurt someone he loves because that, quote, that couldn't even sound like me. Didn't Kate Moss and Winona Ryder, like, weren't, there were allegations back in those days. He's, I mean, I know that both of those actresses have come out and said that wasn't true or they don't have recollections, but those allegations were there. Now, I don't know why they would recant. Actually, I do. And if he, his responses are just, like, prime male abuser, like, she did this, so obviously it couldn't be. Whereas anybody who knows, you know, how abuse victims hide what has happened to them. All of this is just as easily said, well, yeah, she's in an abusive relationship. Of course she would deny having medical treatment. Of course she wouldn't want to make it look like it's affected her life and gone out. I mean, we're not stupid, but we're not fucking stupid. So, really? I mean, yeah, it's it's almost classic. It's the kind of thing that you you see in Lifetime movies, stuff like that. It's like, oh, no, I, I walked into a door. I fell down the stairs, that kind of thing. And it's like, that's, that's the way that a lot of abuse victims behave, that it's like, you deny it, you say like, oh, I, I provoked him, you know, you, you get all of that, because they've been gaslit, they have come to believe that, you know, he can't possibly be abusive, it's my fault, you know, all of that shit that happens around abuse. And also, in terms of the Kate Moss and Winona Ryder, Depp has had a long history of, I guess, volatility. And whether that has extended to actually beating his partners up until Andrew Heard, I mean, it's it's perfectly possible that he was abusive to her and he wasn't actually abusive to any of the other women that he was with. That right. is totally We legitimate. have talked about that. Yeah, that's totally legitimate. That's totally real. That's not saying, like, it's not saying that Winona Ryder is lying when she says, like, well, Johnny never hit me. He, he may not have, like... But he has certainly been violent, and he has behaved in a violent manner, and, like, I mean, he was notorious for smashing up hotel rooms and losing his temper in a violent way. This has happened numerous times over the course of his career. So it isn't a stretch to be like, you know, he's going to become domestically abusive to a partner. Uh, there's no reason to disbelieve Amber Heard. That's, that's the thing. There's nothing that she has really gained from any of this. 
Uh, as we have mentioned so many times, these allegations are usually true because these women do not gain anything from alleging domestic abuse. They usually suffer as a result. Yeah, um, and in case people were curious, this was not an interview he did for E! It was for British GQ that's actually going to be out next month, or this month. So, it's still a shitty interview. Just, no. I, I'm so, so done. So... He likes to do those questionable profiles. Yeah, the, the Rolling Stone <laughs> profile was just terrifying. It, he just... I just saw a, it kind of, I was, it's funny that this comes up because I was at the movie, a movie theater this week and there was a poster up for his Tupac Notorious B.I.G. movie and it had September on the poster and I was like, wait a second, that is, so it just, you know, hopefully things are, you know, he'll start, those people start figuring things out on him. Yep, they need to do something. Um, so moving on, Carrie Mulligan. Um, Carrie Mulligan is awesome. We all knew this. Um, so apparently she was doing a Q&A about wildlife. I'm assuming Lauren put this up. Yeah, I put this up. I was not, I was not at this Q&A. This was a, a public screening Q&A uh, following, I think, the premiere of wildlife or at least one of the screenings of wildlife. And um, if any, have you have either of you seen Wildlife yet? No, I have not yet. No. So Carrie Mulligan plays. She plays a mother who basically, basically, she she has a breakdown of some kind, um, and there are perfectly legitimate reasons for her breakdown and for her anger and for her anguish uh, in the context of the film. But she plays a very not unsympathetic, but a character that is that is very, very complex and does a lot of things that, you know, morally, uh, as as people, we would probably not approve of. So during uh, during the Q and A, a male audience member, because it's always men who say these things, um, stood up and and addressed Mulligan and asked a question, but what his actual statement was that. Uh, the character is completely reprehensible and, and unsympathetic. And so this is, so Mulligan's response, and uh, according to the article and according to the, I think there's a video that, um, that was out about this, uh, Paul Dano also kind of came to the character, who's the director, uh, came to the character's defense. But one of the things that Mulligan said was, we are all too used to only seeing women behaving really well. When we see them out of control or struggling, it doesn't ring true because of everything we've been brought up to understand that women are always perfect and can do anything. That's an unrealistic expectation of a woman. Seeing real humanity on screen can be really, jar can be really jarring from a female perspective. And her point in all of this is that if you watch the film, no one, like Jake Gyllenhaal basically is, he plays the father, he basically fucks off into the wild. Like, that's when he just goes off and abandons his family for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. And he leaves his wife to take care of their 14-year-old son. And she's, and she's completely alone. She is basically having a nervous breakdown because she doesn't have money. She doesn't have a great deal of power. This is set in the 1960s. Um, she's desperate and she... She's angry. She doesn't have the flexibility that he does. She cannot just fuck off into the wild. Um, 
and Mulligan actually addressing that and saying like, you know, yeah, this character is unsympathetic, but there's a reason why she's unsympathetic. It's because she's human. It's because she's not this perfect wife and mother who's just going to quietly suffer. Um, and this, this just reinforces again, why men should not be allowed to ask questions in Q and A's. <laughs> I, I love how they get so indignant about, you know, they have to ask these stupid questions and then you get these viral responses, like the guy that, um, that got outed, what was it for, for the director calling her a whore? And he had to explain that on social media. Yeah. Like, you don't understand. Um, just stop asking dumb questions, man. Stop. Be a goddamn professional. Yeah, but it's nice to see someone like Carrie Mulligan really responding to something like that with a very thoughtful answer of being like, yeah, I mean, you're probably not used to seeing women as people. Yes, exactly. Um, I did want to throw out, this was some breaking, this was some news that came out last night, and I wanted to throw it in really briefly because it made me sad. Um, but the screenwriter Audrey Wells, she did um, the, the Hate You Give, and she also directed, hold on, hold on one second, guys. I gotta take my stupid dog out. <laughs> Give me two seconds, I'll be back. Alrighty. Okay, back. Yay. Um, so Audrey Wells, she wrote the, the screenplay recently for The Hate You Give. She also had um, directed The Truth About Cats and Dogs and Under the Tuscan Sun. And she died of cancer. And it's very sad because a lot of people were talking about how she did not get a lot of opportunity, especially after Under the Tuscan Sun came out, um, which a lot of people liked. I've not seen it, but literally The Hate You Give was her last project. And this is kind of what frustrates me about why we need more women directors, because so many of these female directors in the 90s and, be, and even beyond that never got chances to make more movies. And then yeah. they pass away and we don't know about the amazing work that they could have done had they been given the chance. So when you go see The Hate You Give next weekend, because it goes wide, um, it's brilliant and the script is fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just a little sad about it. It is sad. It is sad. I, I was completely unaware of her, but of course I've seen The Truth About Cats and Dogs and Under the Tuscan Sun. But yeah, it, it's sad to think what, if these women were given the same opportunities that so many mediocre white men get, what they could have accomplished as, as artists, you know, that's, it's just a loss for cinematic history. I am actually, I was just sitting over here familiarizing her, myself with her IMDb. I haven't actually seen Under the Tuscan Sun, but. I have I just, not either, but I know a lot of people like it. I, and I'm, that's kind of, I'm sadly undereducated, but I do have to give some love for the Brendan Fraser, George of the Jungle movie that she wrote she wrote that yeah it's because that is so cute and her her ursula and that is fun and that was a very that's a nostalgic movie favorite of mine you know dating back to god 97 so i was about 11 that was i i love that movie and that it's it's a continuing pattern and a continuing theme for us just all of these mediocre white men that get chance after chance after chance. But this can, you know, going from actor, you know, actresses, writers, directors, how many women do we not see continue because of their quote unquote difficult or, you know, Oh, they had one failure. You know, they had one yeah. box office failure. We're not going to take another gamble on that. When I just saw a movie 
this week the last directorial credit the guy had was Gangster Squad. Hey, don't don't give Ruben Fleischer shit for Gangster Squad. <laughs> so it, it it's things it, our continuing theme. Things need to change, and yeah. we gotta we gotta make this change, and hopefully this will stop happening. Well, you doing theme Kristen Shields for Gangster Squad. Oh. <laughs> well, and, and you and you look a, you look at a lot of these women, and a lot of these women produce what are typically considered to be female films. So romantic comedy, you know, stuff like Truth About Cats and Dogs or George of the Jungle are very female centric, but they're romantic comedies. They're very light films. Um, and it's like you know when a guy does an action movie, which is a you know typical masculine genre, as it were. Uh, suddenly, you know, he gets all of the big paydays, but when a woman does a romantic comedy or, or something like that, she's lesser in some way. Even people like uh, Nora Ephron are very often just dismissed as being like, oh, she, she, just, she just did romantic comedy. She just did all these women's pictures. They're not really worth anything. You know, they're not really important. And that's wrong. There's a great deal of value in that. But it, it also means like, you know, these, these women can do so many different things. And you're just dismissing them because they happen to be associated with films that you think are lesser. Exactly, yeah. So I just had to throw that out there because she's a great screenwriter and we need more women writing scripts. And I can't think of the stories that we've probably lost because Hollywood is such a patriarchal society because it would probably kill me. So let's move on to some happier news, I think. I think this is happier. Um, because it deals with Karen's favorite person in the world, Army Hammer. Yay! Yay! <laughs> um, Army Karen, Hammer, we miss you. <laughs> we do miss Karen. Um, because she would be like, I don't hate him. I just want to punch him in his beautiful face. <laughs> um, that's a live recreation of Karen right there. Um, she so Army Hammer, according to Deadline, has been cast as they say male lead. Lauren, I don't know what that means. Um, I know, I I think I know who he's playing. Okay, so he's been cast as the male lead in 20th Century Fox's follow-up to Murder on the Orient Express. They're doing Death on the Nile, and Army Hammer's the male lead! Woohoo! He's uh, gonna star alongside Kenneth Branagh and Gal Gadot. Uh, They've already given it a release date of December 20th, 2019. They're gonna start filming it sometime next year. Um, Lauren is our resident Christie expert um so what is this movie and how awesome is army hammer gonna be in it and what is he gonna do and give us all the details well just like i mean you can you can look at the the synopsis of death on the nile um death on the nile is poirot traveling in egypt on if i remember correctly on like a riverboat or river cruise and um along the nile and a murder is committed and he's and it's it's the same sort of setup as a lot of Christie's stories, which are you know a group of people, all of whom have both the opportunity and the motive for for the murder, um, are all collected together on this boat. But of course, only one of them is the killer, uh, and and Poirot has to solve it. If Army Hammer is playing the male lead, then I I think I know who he's playing. He'd be playing a character called Simon, um, who if. If I remember correctly from the film adaptations that I've seen of this, of Death on the Nile before, spends an awful lot of time in pajamas. So if you're you're excited about seeing Army Hammer in 1940s, like 1930s, 1940s pajamas, this this is going to be great. It's... um, Who isn't? (laughs) 
I don't know who Gal Gadot is playing yet, although, again, I think that there are two female characters that I think she would probably fit really well. Um, and, and again, if... If she is playing one of these two female characters, that means she she gets to have a lot of scenes with Army Hammer. So there's going to be a lot of of beauty on the screen. I want this movie now. That just I, that sounds immaculate. This <laughs> yeah, needs, I just, this needs to come together. And I'm sure it's going to be beautifully filmed. So the first one, as much as I thought it was kind of mediocre, um, I it looked stunning. It looked beautiful. Yeah. It looked fantastic. Um, so I will. God damn it! This just up. Like jumped its way into my most anticipated next year list. So okay, I'm so um, happy about this. Like you don't even know. <laughs> um, this comes out December nineteenth of twenty nineteen. Woohoo! We just gotta wait cool. over a year for it. Um, but yeah, moving on to some trailer talk. We're gonna get out these trailers really quickly because we have thoughts on other movies. Um, so Dark Phoenix. They released a trailer and then immediately pushed it back to June. Um. This is the continuation of the weird X-Men timeline that we saw in the last... What was the last one? Jesus, I don't even remember. Apocalypse? Apocalypse. Oh, God. Oscar Isaac in weird makeup? We don't talk about him in that ever, okay? That was was a (laughs) We don't talk about Oscar Isaac as Apocalypse. We don't talk about that. And I know my mom would snarkily say, we don't talk about Oscar Isaac at all in this house because you've moved on. But you know what? No. No, we just don't talk about Apocalypse. This is awful. Um, So this is the continuation of that, uh, telling the story of how Jean Grey, played by Sophie Turner, turns into Dark Phoenix. Um, I watched the trailer and thought, okay, so it's just Last Stand again. Didn't we already do that story? And it kind of sucked. And I I felt nothing for this movie. And then they immediately pushed it back to June 7th. So I was just like, nobody really cares about this anyway. Least of all the studio. I... I really enjoyed the very, very first of these, what was it, First Class? Yeah. I, I, first Class was good, yeah. They have, for me, they have legitimately tailed off since then. Um, I will tell you, my stumbling block here, I am, and this is no fault to her at all, poor Sophie Turner. I have a lot of Sansa Stark, star persona stuff still in my head. And I just, I, I worry about that character. I really want to see her be awesome on screen, but I've, Sansa, and young Sansa is such a big stumbling block in my head. It's like, oh, I don't want her to come out, you know, seeming like a pouty teenager. Uh, it looks exactly the same as the other, these this most recent reign of X-Men's, and they've been getting steadily worse as they go, so I... We'll, we'll see, but yeah, that move shows that there's... When when was it supposed... If they moved it to June, when was to it supposed... It's supposed to come out in February. I mean, well, that could be a... I mean, thinking about it, that could be a good move, right? Because they're going from the doldrums to the middle of summer. They've but... also been pushing it back and doing reshoots for at least the last six months. And that never that never leads to a quality <laughs> film. Um, yeah, there, there's a part of me that would have been really excited to see Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy having snarky, vaguely homoerotic dialogue lobbed at each other, and I just felt nothing. If, yeah. if it leads to another Graham Norton sequence of them looking at erotic fan art of each other, I'm all for it. <laughs> 
That's Lauren, the best, what were you gonna say? That's the best part of any of these films. Yeah, I'm t- I'm totally lost as to the X Men timelines now. Like I saw, I think I saw First Class. I'm not certain if I've seen any of the subsequent films. Um, but I was I was again watching this. I, I've seen The Last Stand, and I was like, but the this is The Last Stand. This is what this is the movie the, that happened a while ago. Um, but you know what? This is 20th Century. By Brett Ratner. <laughs> oh God, right. Um, this is 20th Century Fox, right? Yes. You know what? Props to them for like keeping the their this franchise alive, because you know, like they're they're still not crumbling under the power of Marvel. Uh, and I'm just like, you know what? You go 20th Century Fox. You you keep on trying to make these movies. So yeah, that comes out in June. At the moment, they could push it back again. We don't really know. Um, so moving on to another trailer, there's really no nice segues for a lot of these this week. Um, so we're gonna go and talk about Rocket Man. I totally forgot they were doing an Elton John biopic. That makes two of us. <laughs> um, this is directed by Dexter Fletcher, who did Eddie the Eagle, and also what Brian Singer didn't film on Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, so I guess they just gave him this as, like, an apology, or he was already working on this concurrently, I'm assuming. Um, and it tells the story of Elton John, played by Taron Edgerton. Okay, so, um, (laughs) Elton John is a very colorful figure in the 70s. So unless I'm gonna get, like, a coke-fueled 70s look at Elton John's life, I ain't interested. And what I think we're gonna be getting is... Essentially what Bohemian Rhapsody is selling, which is there were the best of times and there were the worst of times, but we're mostly going to focus on the best of times. Mm-hmm. Um, this looks very generic. Yeah, it looks very sanitized. And given that Elton John is still alive and probably at least has yeah. some degree of control over over how his, his own story is approached, uh, I doubt that we're going to get any of the really good stuff. Also... Why are we still trying to make Taron Edgerton happen? Like, you know, I, yeah. I'm so tired of it. He's so bland. And Speaking of generic white boys falling yeah, upward. I, I just, like, he's so bland. He's so, like, you know, he was fine in the first Kingsman, but otherwise, like, who, who gives a shit? And I keep on seeing those goddamn trailers for Robin Hood in, like, every movie I have been to. And I, I'm just like... Oh my god, let this movie come out and fail so that I don't have to see the goddamn trailers anymore. Um, I I don't care. I don't care that much about Elton John to begin with, and I'm with you, Kristen. If, if they're not going to do any of the really interesting stuff about his life and, like, the crazy stuff about his life, I, I don't want to see it. And let's not forget, Bryce Dallas Howard is playing his mother. She is oh, eight years no. older than, than Taron Edgerton. Oh, that, oh, dear. No, 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 yep. no, no. So See, I, me. Oh, go on. I thought this was, I saw the picture come out. There was a picture or a still or something that came out from the trail on, trailer on social media what, midweek. And everybody was hyping, you know, him as Elton John. I thought it was an SNL sketch. This, I, this, I completely missed this one. Didn't have it on my radar. Knew nothing about it. And it just sounded so bland and generic it was like yeah i thought he was hosting snl and it was a sketch from it or a funny or die video or something and i'm with everybody else completely bored bland and dull i don't need to see it it comes out may 17th it looks so. like he's doing an impression of elton john not playing elton yes 
Is he yes. doing his own singing? I believe so. I think, so. I think I heard. It didn't sound. I know it didn't sound like Elton John, which is a big which old he, mistake. I mean, Elton yeah, John I was has like, like I don't very... want to hear some kids. Yeah, I don't want to hear somebody sing karaoke of Elton John. Yeah. So get it together, Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> so moving on. Do you think though that they'll like you know there was so that all that discussion about whether they were going to say whether Freddie Mercury was gay and had AIDS and Bohemian Rhapsody? Do you think they're going to try to hide the fact that that Elton John was gay? I don't know if you guys know this breaking news. Elton John is gay. <laughs> it's going to be a big old failure if it does. I don't know how you could. They That's like hiding Liberace is gay. Yeah, they can't I mean, possibly hide that Elton John is gay. gay. <laughs> they can't possibly hide that Elton John is gay. El- Elton John has been like out for a long time now. I think. I, mean, I think what we'll do is we'll make it safe. You know, like yeah. there might be like one regular person that pops up, even though it was the seventies, and like that's about it. Yeah. I- I'm assuming. Um, so moving on, Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood has a movie. Clint Eastwood could have directed A Star Is Born. Just saying, he could have. He he didn't. Um, because he'd rather make a movie in a month and then release it before the end of the year. Um, because he needs to have that. He's the Merrill of, of directing, um, where he just has to have a movie out every year and then gets an Oscar nomination for it. Um, this year his movie is The Mule. This is about a 90-year-old horticulturist played by Clint Eastwood caught transporting $3 million of cocaine to a Mexican drug cartel. This is his old man of the gun, from what I'm seeing. Um, and I, it looks like a Clint Eastwood movie. Like, that's the thing. I see Clint Eastwood movies now, and they all just kind of blend. There's nothing particularly distinctive about them to me, other than I just know Clint Eastwood made them. Um, this looks like Gran Torino meets old man of the gun, where he's just going to be, like, crotchety, and he's like, get off my cocaine. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what he's going to say. But it's got Bradley Cooper as well. So, you know, all the drooling Oscar fanboys are going to be like, will Cooper get dual nominations for one, this, and the Star is Born? Will him and Eastwood have to... I don't care. Okay, I don't care. Um, The trailer for this looks like a Clint Eastwood movie. I can't tell you if it looks any different from the trailer for Sully or the trailer for... Well, uh, uh, nothing looks like the trailer for Jersey Boys because they sang. Uh, but, I mean, it just, it looks like the same color palette as Jay Edgar, if y'all remember that. And I do because I own it. Because uh, it has Army Hammer in it. Of course it. you do. Um, <laughs> so it just looks like Clint Eastwood, the movie. It's just, he's acting in this now. So it didn't really do a whole lot for me. Yeah, I, I remember making a joke back when Gran Torino came out, just like, it's Clint Eastwood is Clint Eastwood in Clint Eastwood, the movie. Yeah, pretty uh, much. Exactly. Yeah, and, and that's what this this one, like, immediately I was just like, but isn't this Gran Torino? And I was like, oh, no, it's not Gran Torino. That's a different movie about a crotchety old man, like, fighting the 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 vague the the vague foreign other like i gotta remember that it's like one crotchety old man we got another crotchety old man also played by clint eastwood yeah i don't care i mean actually eastwood has has produced some really interesting films um i i quite like jay edgar uh, for all of its flaws i thought it was a very jay edgar is 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 good when it's good like when you can see i i told somebody i'm all when clint eastwood is like actually telling a story and, like, trying to focus on, like, real-life cases. He seems really interested in the material. 
when he has to slow it down and talk about the fact that I feel like there was a meeting, much like what we just did, our bit, where they were like, so when are we going to include that J. Edgar was gay? And he's like, <laughs> J. Edgar Hoover was a fine, straight, heterosexual man. Shit, we're going to have to include that, aren't we? Okay, well, we're going to have, like, <laughs> one really angry fight scene where they make out for a second, but that's it. That is it. I draw the line. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I've liked, despite his politics, despite, like, some of the problems that I have with him otherwise, I've liked a lot of his films that he's that he's actually directed. He's a good director. So this could be, this could be decent. I, I think that, again, you know, old white dude uh, versus, you know, it, versus or, or in cahoots with the Mexican cartels, I'm just like, oh, God, this is not, this is not something that Clint Eastwood needs to make. Well, yeah, coming on the... Coming on the, after the reviews, and I haven't seen any of these, but coming in the face of Sicario and Peppermint, I, the thought of Clint Eastwood tackling the, you know, the otherness of the cartels really, that made me nervous. Um, And then I will also say that my father is a 65-year-old New Jersey Republican. Clint Eastwood, what a huge Clint Eastwood fan, grew up on him, you know, idolized Dirty Harry when he was in his 20s. He watched this trailer, went with me and went, oh, God, no, what's what's going on? <laughs> he, oh, even no. he went, I will not see, he goes, I will not see this film. Oh, Clint Eastwood has lost his main demographic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I I will say that this is uh, written by Nicholas Shank, who only is predominantly done television. He did write two episodes of Narcos. So, you know, he's definitely not going to be racist. He can Uh, speak cartel. Yes, he did write Gran Torino, Hmm. which is not a good sign. And he also directed or wrote the 2014 courtroom drama The Judge, which, if memory serves, because I apparently am the only one who remembers that, I want to say that's the movie where Robert Downey Jr.'s character knowingly makes out with a teenager. I remember that movie. I didn't see yeah. it, but I remember that movie. Yeah, and I was just like, well, that's fucking gross. Okay, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't remember much more about that, but I was just like, oh, or like maybe he, I, wasn't it, hold on, I'm Googling this. Like, he thought it was his daughter for a second, too. Like, funny, haha, we think we're related, and we made out with not just an underage girl, but also a woman I'm related to. Um, again, if anybody's seen that shitty movie, um, tell me if I'm right or wrong. Uh, that, was but, right when did, that was right when uh, Downey Jr. was on his post-Iron Man. Look, look, I can do drama again. Yeah. I can act good. Um, yes. So, The Mule comes out December 14th. Of this year, so there you go. That um, came quick. I that's, didn't that's what know he that one was now. happening. That's what he does now. He makes these movies like a month before they're released, uh, which can't ever yield diminishing returns, can it? Last thing Sorry. we need is Bradley Cooper in another role that's going to have, like you just said, Oscar fanboys, you know, masturbating be, themselves before the series. You know, before there's the going to be so much chapped skin. That's all I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> they are not going to know what to do with themselves. Uh, so the last trailer we have is for, I saved the best for last because I think it's the worst. Um, so the upside, this is a remake of a French film 
I have not seen. Everybody I know has told me to see this movie. I don't want to. I know European humor translates differently, so I might actually find it endearing, but I don't care. I don't want to see it. It's called The, it, the Untouchables. Um, but they remade it here as a movie called The Upside. It was supposed to come out last year, but then I think it got stuck with all the Weinstein drama, and now it's actually going to come out in January. And it's directed by Neil Berger. It tells about the relationship between a wealthy paraplegic, played by Brian Cranston, and an unemployed man, played by Kevin Hart, who is, uh, gets the job to take care of him. And lessons are learned, and... Oh my god. Okay, so I hated this trailer. I hated this trailer so much. A couple things I'm sick of seeing. I'm sick of seeing an outsider, usually a minority, which is either a person of color or a woman, who is the conduit to help a entitled white asshole who just happens to be disabled um, learn to appreciate his life. I'm sick of that. Done with it. I don't care. Um, and the other thing, stop trying to tell us that handicapped people are independently wealthy we're not a lot of us <laughs> are not struggling we're not i don't know if you know this but i do not have a cayman account okay god damn um, it i know i know that's why i go fund me to go to film why are we all me. here then yeah really <laughs> this is all about just getting your money chris <laughs> <laughs> And see, that is the problem. When you tell <laughs> audiences that disabled people have all this fucking money, then some entitled asshole who doesn't have a lot of money says, oh, hey, we don't need Social Security anymore because you guys just have all this money, right? No, fuck you, we don't, okay? I, I Full disclosure, I live off $900 a month. And if I get a job, it is make a dollar, take a dollar. But, you know, that's not charming and cute for a Hollywood movie, apparently. So we have all these stories about white men who have buckets of money and are also handicapped and never have to worry about healthcare, okay? If you follow my Twitter and you have seen my diatribes with the healthcare system in my county, holy shit, Brian Cranston, I would go in and tell, slap him across the face and be all, get your shit together, man. You can go to the doctor whenever the hell you want. Um, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of perpetuating this idea that it's like, and that's why it's all white men. Like, mm -hmm. that's why they're independently wealthy and disabled late in life. So that literally the only thing they can bitch and moan about is how they can't fuck women anymore. Um, I'm sorry. This movie just pisses me, pisses me off. Um, other than that, it just looks like a generic handicap inspiration porn movie. I don't care if Brian Cranston is mad as hell and he's not gonna take it anymore. I don't care if Kevin Hart gets to see his daughter. You know what? Just make them two able-bodied people. It's the same fucking movie. Whew, that felt good. Uh, <laughs> what did it say? everybody else think about it? You two normies with your working legs. <laughs> I, I don't know how it's quite possible to follow that. Yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> I, I, I watched it. I thought two things. I mean, I, I had seen your rant about it on, I think you were, you were on it on Twitter for a while. I saw that and I was like, okay, things, yes. <laughs> I'm like, I need to tackle this. And I'm like, so I sit down, I play it. Two things immediately I noticed watching. Well, the first thing I Googled the director and saw his last film credit was Divergent. So once again, we have another 
white boy continually getting roles after, yeah, continually getting, you know, directorial gigs when he's really not performing all that well and not making good movies. And I just, I sat through night school. I don't need another Kevin Hart vehicle. Kevin Hart is a one trick pony. And that, I had a very hard time pulling myself back from that watching the trailer. How he's. He's on quite a hot streak. This will probably be, what, movie number three or number four this year. And it's, it's, I just was, I, didn't impress me. Fun fact, Neil Berger also directed the 2011 film Limitless, starring Bradley Cooper. Exactly. And I wasn't, I I was looking at his trailer going, how, or his, his filmography going, how does, what's going, what, why? I mean, I would I would just love a, someone, an outlet to pay a disabled person. It doesn't have to be me. And just find a disabled person, show them the trailer and have them ask Neil Berger and Brian Cranston questions like, why do you keep thinking that handicapped people have all this money? So why? So why did you think that was a thing? And they're going to say that the original French film does that, too. I don't care. I want an answer. God damn it. Yeah, well, to, I mean, just to follow all of this up, and I, I I, agree with the two of you, so I don't think that I have much more to add in terms of that. I would really love to see a, a big budget, and we've seen a few indie films that are like this, but a big budget Hollywood film that actually deals with handicapped people as, you know, not rich people. So where you're actually having to deal with going to the doctor all the time, with managing uh, Social Security and Medicare or Medicaid or all of the other things that you you have to do just in order to to live your life because i i've said this before my mother's handicapped and now she's she's handicapped as a result of a, a a disease that occurred very late in life and but you know my parents are comfortable they are not wealthy people at all but just having to deal with that constant thing to actually see that and to see it represented on screen and to not see it as as you're saying not see it as inspiration for him but it's just normal people living normal lives but dealing with the issues of being disabled in this country would be fascinating this is obviously not that but i would just really like that i would like to actually see that on screen as would i <sighs> Hollywood right now <laughs> every time these movies come out by just the little like fire in my brain I turn into Madeline Kahn and Clue and just be like <laughs> flames down the side of my face um it comes out January 11th it looks awful well that release date doesn't say it's good uh exactly yeah. so yeah uh moving on to what came out this week so this weekend was a mixed Sorry. bag I'm gonna say a mixed bag <laughs> Um, I'm going to save my thoughts on Hate You Give for next week when it goes wide. I also did go see Bad Times at the El Royale, and I will save that for next week. But you can probably tell by the look on my face, if you can hear it through the audio, <laughs> I, have, I have things to say. Um, but I saw Star is Born. Yep. So, Crickets. I, I, <laughs> uh, Karen would like to say that she didn't hate it, but... It was shallow. Ah, uh, uh, ba bump um, So I actually shotgunned all three of the um, actual title versions. I know What Price Hollywood is considered the, the original version. Um, but I shotgunned all three of the Star is Boards. So I watched 37 for the first time, which I had never seen. 
I watched the 54 again, which I've seen numerous times, and I watched the 76 version, which I realized after about 20 minutes I had actually never seen past the first 20 minutes because it was so awful. Um, so I watched all three, and then I went and saw this new one. So I'm good on A Star is Born for, like, ever. Um, that, that being said, my, my heart belongs to the 54 one, and... I applaud Bradley Cooper for a lot of things. He's he's essentially remaking the 76 one with Barbra Streisand, which is good because if you're going to try to remake any of them, remake the worst one. Um, and it, it's beautifully filmed. Matthew Labatique is the cinematographer. It is beautiful. It is an utterly exquisitely composed film. Um, Bradley Cooper is really good. I had very hard time understanding him because his old Texas mumble drawl is just very hard to understand and then you add him next to Sam Elliott and it's just like hearing two people mumble at each other um uh, Lady Gaga's great she has a really great scene that is a bit undone by nudity but it's a brilliant scene where they're having this argument um when it's about them being a couple in a toxic relationship I was really into it um because I thought they were really really good um that but at the same time this is a Bradley Cooper vanity project, so he gets a lot of backstory that I felt was unnecessary. Like, they just pile on stuff about his life to make you care about him. Whereas Lady Gaga's character is so ill-defined, she only has one name. She doesn't have a last name. Um, and she only has a dad. Who? What happened to her mom? Who the fuck cares? Because it's not her story. Um, I, I, so I didn't really care about that. Um, I felt it was a little long, and he has a very folksy view of music at this point. You know, it's still, you know, the, the worst thing about the music industry, according to Bradley Cooper, is all, it's all about aesthetics. It's all about how you look. It's not about YouTube or the fact that singles are dead, you know, or any of that. It's, it's that, you know, she's a pop star, so she's obviously selling out, um, which it's very hard to dissociate from her being Lady Gaga and so when he's kind of like mansplaining the industry to her, I kind of had to laugh. It would be funny if it wasn't meant to be ironic, but it's not. Um, and, and I did think that the pop star song she sings is essentially, it's just do what you want. The Lady Gaga song, it is the same song. Um, it's, it's a very safe film. As Karen said, it's shallow, much like the song they sing. Um, it is a very safe, polished movie. I don't think it ever gets better than that opening performance when they sing The Shallow. The, the rest of the songs I don't feel ever have the impact of that moment. Um, but it's it's fine. It's a perfectly serviceable, for a movie that's been remade three times already, it is perfectly serviceable. It's perfectly safe for a directorial debut. But anybody calling this a masterpiece or revelation or anything that, that fanboys, and I'm not talking like established critics that have clout. I'm talking about fanboys, okay, who have their little websites and they think that they're awesome. If you're calling this a masterpiece, you have not seen any of the previous three. And I won't even include the Barbara one as, as being, at, at least having more cachet than this. Um, I also was really disappointed. I would have loved to have seen what they would have done. This was originally supposed to have Beyonce, and I think there was also a Latina um, singer at one point associated with this. Four versions would have loved to have seen a person of color. Um, and I'm not talking Dave Chappelle. I'm talking about lead. Um, so yeah, I, I thought this was, was a very safe film. I probably won't see it again, much like La La Land. I will listen to the soundtrack far more than I would ever watch this. Um, Kim, you also saw it. What did you think? 
you're being a lot nicer than I was. Okay. Um, <laughs> I... Well, and I also can't, I don't know when you screened it. My screening had the unfortunate side effect of being the same day as the Kavanaugh hearings. I saw this Monday. Yeah, I I saw this the day of the Kavanaugh Ford testimony. I think you saw it a week before I did. So I was not in a good frame of mind when I went to go see it. However, the last line of my review is, let's not count our Oscar nominations before they're announced. Um... I was, I hated it. I, by the, I I mean, I won't spoil it, but I was rooting for the ending to happen that I knew was going to happen. I, Cooper was, I, I, okay, let's start from the beginning. I thought this, I thought the music was by far and away the best part. I 100% completely agree with you. I think that first time where they sing Shallow on stage is by far and away the best moment of the film. I actually found myself getting a little emotional at that point. I thought that was very, they were both so good. It was so well done. But after that, I mean, there was, the composition, the look of the film, especially in the first half, was starting to bother me. There were so many close shots, and I just wanted to... I, I hate films that live in close-ups like that. You I know, would Mother, have liked a couple long shots. Yeah. yeah, it's... Like, Mother drove me absolutely insane What for that. What did you think of the sound mix? Because I thought the mix... I love that when they were in the rock scenes, they wanted us to feel like we were at Coachella. But if you sit really close to the screen, it is torture. I I thought it, I'm not very good at sound mix, but I there were I was having I was struggling a bit. I it's very it, loud. Yeah, like that's I what would, I was noticing. If you sit farther back, you probably aren't going to notice it. But I have to sit in the front. Well, and, so and the that heavy vibrations. Of the, like, reverb. I mean, it felt like you were in a rock concert, which is great, but I would have preferred to sit further back if that was the case. I mean, I was picking out, yeah, and you, yeah, with where you have to sit, because I know we, at our screenings, were kind of seated midway towards the back. Yeah. So I didn't have to put up with that nearly as much as you would have. But I know, especially those first two concert scenes, it was like, ouch, you guys are clearly going for an aesthetic here. And people have been calling this some kind of technical marvel, technical masterpiece. I didn't see it at all. Um, Cooper, I thought was, and I'm kind of, I'm really torn here. I hated the character. I hated the character. I found him completely unlikable. But that could have also mean Cooper gave a very good performance. In that, he was really good at being a complete douche. I did not by because I, I like what you said about being invested in the toxic relationship part and I could have seen myself falling into that however I didn't buy them as a couple first I found she was so I thought she was incredibly strong and inc- incredibly solid in the role but as such I didn't see what drew them together you know they I didn't buy them as two people, you know, who needed each other, who were so hopefully desperately in love. That it was like, by the time things start falling apart, I'm going, come on, Lady Gaga, you're better than this. Why are you, you know, why are you putting up with this shit? Just leave his ass. You, He needs you more than you need him. Yeah, that that's a, con- a conversation that's happening on Twitter right now where 
you know, people are like, does she not have friends? Does she not? I mean, she has Anthony Ramos for a couple of scenes, but that's about it. So she's very isolated. Um, and I did feel like all of the, the Star is Borns end on this note of, of something, whether it's Janet Gaynor going back out because her grandmother tells her to stand by her man. Judy declares herself Mrs. Norman Maine because, you know, there's that, there's that guilt. Um, Barbara goes out and sings her song because her and Chris Christopherson's character presented as more partners in music. When, when Gaga goes out and sings her I Will Always Love You, um, which is essentially what it is, uh, I felt that it was more like a very romanticized, like I never thought Bradley Cooper didn't think this relationship is love. Yeah, it's fucked up and yeah, there are issues, but you know, he has a very romanticized view of what a toxic relationship looks like. And I was just not feeling it. It's why I feel like a female filmmaker, again, four movies, and only one of these movies has had a female co-writer. Joan Didion mm -hmm. co-wrote the 76 version. And I question that because the 76 version is very misogynist in parts. Um, so yeah, it's, I... Oh, go on. Oh, it, it's just so, so dominated from his perspective, which completely turned me off. Um, the, you mentioned the development. I thought that was, you, you find out her one name, you see where she works, you see where she lives, and you see a very old-looking Andrew Dice Clay playing dad. And that's it. I mean, the rest of it is completely how he sees her. And that felt like it was down to even, and I know a couple other people at my screenings saw this as well. When they, you're bringing such a solid, talented musician, musical performer as Lady Gaga in there. And when they turn her into a pop star, she's a Lindsay Lohan clone. That was, it I thought she like, was Lady Gaga. I thought she was Oh, see, Gaga. I I felt like they were, that felt like they were doing that disgusting girl group, or that, you know, that Britney Spears, Lindsay Lohan, you know, girl singer trope from the mid-2000s. And that, it felt, to me, it felt like almost a disrespect to Lady Gaga as a musician. Because it's, because it, it's clearly being looked at from his perspective of the music industry, and he's lost his muse, so he's throwing a, you know, a hissy fit about, lose, you know, losing the one person who's ever inspired him. And it, I, I hated pretty much, with the exception of 20 minutes, I would hated every second of this movie. <laughs> uh, Lauren, are you even interested in going to see this at some point? I mean, I, I am going to go see it just because people have been talking about it so goddamn much. And I feel like whatever my feelings about it, I need to have actually seen the movie in order to, to talk about it in any sense. Although I've said this on Twitter and I'm going to say it again. I'm so tired of it. I've been tired of this movie. I was unexcited about it to begin with, but I was sort of, okay, yeah, whatever. Great. You know, I like Lady Gaga um, just as a, as a performer. Um, but sorry, hold on just a second. My, there is a massive helicopter flying by my window. Yeah, th this hype truly needs to go away. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely think it's just a lot of people who don't have a lot of classic film history watching this, thinking it's it's fantastic. And I'm just like, if you've seen any of the previous ones, you know, yeah, it's, you've seen them. I, I, I don't. 
I like, like I said, I like Lady Gaga, but um, I don't, I'm not a big fan of Bradley Cooper. I find him very boring and generic. And I, nothing about this has particularly excited me, including all of the hype surrounding it. And at this point, I'm just like, you know what, I'll go see it. Maybe my mind will be changed. The way that you guys are talking, I'm like, probably not. Um, but it's... <sighs> I'm already tired of this film and I'm really, really tired of the Oscar talk surrounding it and it's just going to get worse. Yeah. Oh yeah. I heard Variety pegging this for, I think, best picture, best director, best actor, best actress, best supporting actress. Fuck no. I I pretty much told my mom she needs to go see this because it will be the big Oscar film and she does not want to be left out. Um, I, I do want to get, since Lauren has a bit of a time crunch, um, I do want her to get to her thoughts. You saw Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah, I just wanted to give, this This is a film that is not going to come out until November. Um, it is a Netflix film, but it's the new Coen Brothers movie. Uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is a, uh, a Western anthology film. Um, and the reason why I was initially very confused about this and the, and there's a reason for this is because for a while there were rumors that this was actually going to be a unlimited series on Netflix that, and that we were going to have each episode was going to be a separate story. According to the Coens, uh, this was not true. This was just like getting misreported. It was getting misinterpreted by people that were, that were seeing the press announcements on Netflix about Netflix. Um, that it was always intended to be a single two-hour film that incorporates six different stories. Um, it's quite a movie. I mean, basically, the, the whole structure of the film is the ideas... The, the film opens with, um, like, a shot of an old-timey book that says The Ballad of Buster Scruggs and Other Stories of the American West. Uh and so each vignette is separated by like co- by coming back to the book and someone turning the page and it's a new color plate like you get in a lot of old books of a scene from the next story and then it goes into the 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 next vignette it's it's fascinating it's uh it's somewhere between it's somewhere between Fargo and Hail Caesar in tone so it's got that it's got a lot of lightness like Hail Caesar does but those moments of just almost extreme brutality that are initially shocking and then you begin to expect them because these the the same themes keep on coming up throughout each vignette um the opening vignette which is the Ballad of Buster Scruggs is probably one of the best but it's simply because it's Tim Blake Nelson playing a Gene Autry style singing cowboy who is also a like sociopathic gunslinger and so he just murders everybody that he meets basically and it's it's funny because there's a lot of him talking to the camera and him playing the guitar and like a lot of extreme sort of loquaciousness on his part. It's got a lot of that Coen Brothers dialogue that we come to expect. Uh, and then also just being this, you know, just like, wow, well, I'm a great gunslinger. Well, you don't want to fight with me, boy, like that kind of thing. Uh and then the, the film moves on into like different subgenres of the Western. We get sort of a, a gothic-tinged Western that features Liam Neeson. We've, we get um, a, Tom Waits as an old gold prospector who is looking for a seam of gold in the middle of nature. 
Um, it's it's got the it's got a wonderful arc. Definitely, some of the vignettes are I think more interesting and more dynamic than some of the others, but they all fit together in a really interesting thematic way. At the end of the day, it's just loads of fun. Like I just watching this film, I was like, this is a this is a wonderful piece of entertainment. I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays on something like like Netflix because you get a lot of the sort of scope of the American West. There are a lot. There's gorgeous imagery. There's a lot of um, kind of sweeping plains and deserts and mountains and and things like that. And it feels very much like it should be seen on a big screen. But of course, it's intended for Netflix. It's it was produced by Netflix. It's going to be released on Netflix, and I think it's going to have some degree of theatrical release as well. But I will be interested to see the reactions when people actually begin to watch this on a smaller screen and whether or not it is as impressive or as diverting as um, as it was on, like, you know, a big screen in a, in a dark theater. James Franco present and accounted for? James Franco is featured in one of the vignettes. And actually, leaving aside all of the crap about him, it's actually really fun. Like he does a very good job. He's a uh, he's a bank robber who s- keeps on getting himself into trouble, basically. And uh, yeah, so he's he's definitely there. He's not the mo- He's not part of the most memorable vignette. My personal favorite are is kind of torn between the the initial opening one, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, or the Tom Waits episode with um uh, with Waits basically just being old and in the middle of the woods. <laughs> Interesting. And that comes out to Netflix in November? That comes out to Netflix on, I think, November 16th. Okay. And then, to close this out, Kim, you took a bullet and saw Venom. I did. Yeah, um... I... This movie didn't need to be made. <laughs> I... I feel really... I... I feel bad for sony because they're kind of left uh, marvel kind of that complicated marvel deal which i i can't speak to the details of it but now that spidey is back home over in the mcu that kind of leaves sony with just pieces of that you know shredded pieces of that franchise that they once hoped to put together i I said in my review, you know, remember that Sinister Six movie we were supposed to get a while back, you know, back when things were hopeful and Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone were being all likable as Spider-Man and Mary and, uh, oh God, it's, I need to have my nerd card revoked, her Mary character Jane. in that film. No, she's not Mary Jane, she, uh, Gwen Stacy. Uh. And, um, but this, this one, you could tell the movie didn't know I guess the first thing that became apparent to me is you can tell the movie didn't know what it wanted to be there are these there's these moments of comedy and thriller and Tom Tom Hardy it felt really weird it's I think he was having you know an against type issue where I was just really struggling one seeing him playing comedy two seeing his mouth for the whole movie that was that was a new one for me um but he was probably the best out of anybody. I didn't think it was possible to that for a movie to waste Michelle Williams and this this one managed. And I didn't think it was possible for a movie to waste Riz Ahmed and this one did as well. This these characters were so flat, so uninteresting. 
the movie really didn't it didn't the special effects shots i struggled with there were tons of moments in there where you're looking at shots of a car crash or shots of people getting punched it's like no the human body doesn't react like that or you know this you're, you're ripping through a car here it wouldn't be this smooth and you know it, things felt rushed which kind of correlates to I've, discussions that I've heard had. I know people were saying there were some issues with this going for an R rating and then changing it to PG-13 late. Uh, sheer amount of writers um, credited on there. I think we're upwards of five or six on there again. So you have all these different voices competing. A high point of the movie, I would say, would be um, Hardy playing eddie brock and the when him and the kind of the disembodied venom voice are alone together there's some cute moments of comedic bantering and i know i got a few chuckles out of hardy's physical comedy kind of midway through the film but other than that it's story was weak character motivations were questionable at best you really didn't get to know anybody Unless you're a true Venom fan, I wouldn't advise, which is totally going against the box office numbers that I'm seeing, because clearly other people have liked it. I wouldn't advise seeing it. I don't think it's worth it. I pretty much feel like the porn is self, self-written. self I've pretty much <laughs> only talked about Venom in terms of, like, crass jokes about things that would make that movie interesting to see, but probably won't be included. I'm just saying, you have Tom Hardy playing a dude with a really weird tongue. I mean, come on. Yeah. The, the jokes write themselves. The jokes write themselves. How do you make a serious movie about that? Come on. You're, you're better than I. My head didn't even go there. It's okay, Kim. <laughs> uh, I would I would quote from Bad Times Tale Royale, but I don't because it's kind of spoilery. Um, but there's a joke it could have made. Um, either way, so that's going to close out this episode. What does everybody have on tap for, for the coming week? Kim? Space jazz. Space jazz! <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm going to go to my screening of space jazz. It's at the theater that's out of the way. And I don't know if I want to travel that far. Um, I'll probably also re-see The Hate You Give. Um, and I'm definitely, I already told my mother, we're already making plans to go see Bad Times at the Royale again on Thursday. So That's I'm... my goal, too. See that again. Oh, oh, everybody should go see it at least twice. Because you're going to need one time to just kind of, like, take in what you've seen. And then the second time to actually, like, be like, I need to go see that again because it's fucking amazing. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Uh, Lauren, what do you have on tap? I, I actually get a break for press screenings uh, at the New York Film Festival this week. So I'm going to – I probably am going to try to see A Star is Born. And I would – if I have the time at the end of the week, I would really like to go see Bad Times at the El Royale. It's just, it's so good. It's so good. Um, yeah, so that, that's going to close us out. Um, you can also follow us and keep up on what's happening on our Twitter at Citizen Dame Pod. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Citizen Dame. If you want to email us thoughts, suggestions, comments, you can do that at citizendamepod at gmail.com. We also have our official website, citizendamepod.com, where you can read our weekly top fives this week it was in honor of lauren's birthday so we did our quintessentially lauren films and we found out that we think lauren really likes violence darkness and brits (laughs) you are not wrong actually (laughs) so there you go we also have uh kim's feminist fridays this week she looked at the jane fonda film cat blue 
We also have uh, some LA Film Fest reviews that I'm going to be doing that are coming up. Um, I did one on the Buster Keaton documentary, The Great Buster, as well as We Have Always Lived in the Castle. So definitely check those out. And you, if you want to go the extra mile and actually support us with your money, you can do that at patreon.com slash citizendame. Right now we have some stuff that's already up there, including our audio commentary of Sicario. Karen is almost finished with our Gold Bloom episode that's going to be coming up soon. And we are talking, now that we have crossed over into a year of episodes, doing some merchandise. So if you have ever wanted to have the Citizen Dame logo on something or one of our sayings, we are looking at doing that. That's going to be happening soon, and, and the patrons are going to be getting uh, dibs on that. So if you want to get in on the ground floor, go to patreon.com slash citizendame. I also recommend checking all of us out on our own individual Twitters. I am at journeys underscore film. Karen is at Karen M. Peterson. Lauren, where are you on Twitter? I am at LH Business. And Kim? At KPR624. And we'll be back next time, hopefully with less garbage men and the full group. Uh, we'll be talking about times at the El Royale, so you'll understand why Kim and I have lost our collective minds over it. So until then, bye! Oh,